You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I am Ziana McIntyre. This is Sarah Weaver, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Way back in the day, I learned about real estate investing through my parents. This was before the days of Airbnb and our obsession with short-term stays. My parents eventually owned about 10 doors in various locations. I trudged along with my stepfather when he would perform some basic and not so basic repairs. I listened half-heartedly, as teenagers do, as they complained about evictions and even had to do some detective work to catch up with a delinquent renter. But all in all, I gleaned two key concepts from my parents. First, it seemed like hard work. Second, it was still a great way to make money. The life of a landlord looks different than it did for my parents. There are new tools, new strategies, and even more ways to make money. So today, we discuss one of these new strategies, medium-term rentals. Ziana McIntyre and Sarah Weaver are seasoned real estate pros who not only manage multiple doors, but share their wisdom with budding investors. Their book, 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental, is being released by Bigger Pockets Publishing on November 10th. Sarah and Ziana, welcome to Earn and Invest. Sarah, let me start with you. Tell us about your biggest real estate investing disaster. Yes, it is the fact that I waited too long. I I think of all the missed opportunity that I have sitting there because I just was too afraid to use other people's money. Knowing what I know now, I could have been buying property like once a month or at least once every 90 days. And that might seem like a cop out from a really good like tenant horror story. But I think that the fact that I was so scared to use other people's money is what I consider my biggest disaster. Ziana, talk about that because I feel like you were also in the same place. You came at this and discovered real estate and I believe you didn't have much money. Was this kind of your same issue? that for me, I've just been a little bit of a slow and steady person. So maybe it's because of my five background. You know, I'm not like the, oh my gosh, I'm a real estate investor. I'm going to have a hundred doors and be just like, you know, cool and braggy like so many real estate investors are. But from the financial independence, it's sort of this idea of like, I have enough. And so I kind of just felt like if I could get one property a year, I could just keep building this this portfolio that would take care of me for the rest of my life. So I don't know that I waited too long, but I know now so many tools that I could have way more units. And sometimes I wonder, should I have done that? Or am I really happy with my just 12? Sarah, talk about how you made that switch, right? You said that I wasn't yet comfortable with this idea of using other people's money. How did you discover real estate? And and when did the light go off and you said, okay, I can jump in now? So I discovered real estate in 2015. And similar to Ziana, I, I thought I could just buy a house once a year and eventually I would be financially independent. And while that's still true, I then kind of discovered the beauty of what it could look like to use other people's money. And so now I use private lending and hard money lending and equity partners. And that all changed in 2021. I will say the book goes into all these strategies. We may not talk about them today because we might be a little bit more philosophical, but for sure, you can learn all sorts of details on those strategies in the book. 
Ziana, talk about today's rental landscape. As I was talking about in my intro, the landlords of yesteryear, what my parents were, looks a lot different than today. You guys use acronyms like LTR and MTR and STR. What what the heck is that? And how is how has the landscape changed over the years? So what your parents were doing and what people generally think of as rental properties are long-term rentals. So that's usually a, a year lease and it's an unfurnished property, right? But nowadays, because of high interest rates and just high cost of homes, you can't make money as easily as with a long-term rental. So if you've had a property for 10 years, yeah, great. Long-term rental all day because you've got a cheap mortgage locked in. But if you're just getting started today and you need that cash flow to replace your income, well, then you need to come up with something else. And so that's why we do medium-term rentals and short-term rentals, which short-term rentals are under 30 days, medium-term rentals are over 30 days. And these units are furnished, which allows us to charge a lot more. So that's where we're finding our cash flow. Sarah, talk about this change in the market and specifically the role of Airbnb. I, I feel like Airbnb changed the game. It did. I know for both Diana and I, we really love the ability to receive a notification on our phone from anywhere in the world. And so for us, short-term rentals have allowed both Diana and I to landlord from anywhere. And so in your intro, you mentioned like going with your stepdad and like being in person and like being present. Well, Ziana and I own properties like hundreds of miles away. We've bought now from thousands of miles away and we can do this from anywhere. And that is because of Airbnb. Ziana, Airbnb and short-term rentals became synonymous. Sarah was just talking about short-term rentals. This book actually is about something a little bit different, medium-term rentals. Talk about the backlash that happened with short-term rentals, possibly because of Airbnb. The laws have kind of changed throughout the country, haven't they? Yeah, it's been kind of the slow moving thing. I want to say probably since 2017, certain municipalities have decided that to outlaw or to restrict Airbnb. And the reasoning behind it is that they were feeling like it was affecting affordability in these markets. And so, you know, there's a little bit of hotel lobbying that kind of pushes <laughs> that. You know, it's not entirely fair. But I think that it is, you know, nice to balance it out a little bit. What we like about medium term rentals is that you're not under the scrutiny of the regulations that have been put into place. For some reason, this 30 day limit is this gray area. And so with a 30 day plus rental is seen as a long term rental and you you're under those guidelines. So you're not really worried about regulations coming in and things changing for you. So it's kind of a safer strategy than doing the short-term rental. Sarah, we're going to talk in a moment about kind of the mindset that goes into medium-term rentals. But before we do, I want to ask one other Airbnb question because I just think it's so interesting. Has the geography of re rentals changed, especially recently with Airbnb? Because I'm feeling like short-term rentals, big-time vacation spots, that's where people were looking for. What's happening in rural markets and kind of off-vacation site markets? It seems like the tide is changing a little bit. You're, you're exactly right, Doc. We are seeing that the medium-term rental strategy works in any market. And I, I don't I know that new investors don't like hearing that. They're like, yeah, yeah, but tell me what market. And Ziana and I both are like, no, really, it works in any market. Ziana owns properties in St. Louis that are ran as medium-term rentals and cash flowing beautifully. I own medium-term rentals in Omaha and Des Moines. All three of those markets are not what we would consider vacation markets, right? I, I don't I don't sit around thinking, man, I can't wait to go to Omaha for my vacation. <laughs> Yet I can't wait to buy another medium-term rental in Omaha because the cash flow is incredible. Susiano, let's talk about that. What's different about the medium-term rental mindset? Compare that, for instance, to short-term rentals. How are they different? Well, I mean, they can work well together. I think that I sort of discovered this medium-term space myself in having trouble with short-term rentals. I was doing a lot of short-term rentals and then COVID hit and it started to change. People weren't going on vacation. People needed a longer 
place to either quarantine away from their families, to have a bigger home to, you know, school from or work from. And so that kind of just changed the landscape there. So what I've found is that if you have a short-term rental, you can even add in a medium-term rental like period to help you through the slow season, for example. So if you were really, really busy in summertime, it's so great to have a nurse come in for your slow winter months. So it doesn't necessarily have to be exclusive of one another, but I like the medium-term rental strategy because there's more ease. I find that with less turnover, you just have less problems. Sarah, let's talk nurses, because over and over again in the book, you guys reference nurses as being your renters. What's going on with the nursing market and why is it so important to medium term rentals? I think it's important that we point out that traveling nurses is not a new phenomenon. While I think it gained popularity with COVID, being a traveling nurse and having the ability to take 13 week contracts all over the United States is not new. This has been happening for a long time. And the amount of vacancies or the need for traveling nurses has actually increased over time. And so both Sianna and I rent our furnished rentals to traveling nurses, not exclusively. Some of my tenants are not traveling nurses. Some of my friends that own medium-term rentals in other parts of the country haven't even rented to a nurse yet. However, both Sianna and I, a lot of our, our tenants are nurses. Ziana, let's talk about how you choose geography and location, especially if you're thinking about medium-term rentals. You were talking about St. Louis. I'm familiar with St. Louis because I did my residency there. So one thing I knew was there were tons of hospitals in a small area. So if I'm thinking about nurses, that makes a lot of sense, right? Nurses coming in and out, et cetera. What are some of the thought processes that go into figuring out your location if you're thinking specifically medium-term rentals? Yeah, I think hospitals are a big target point because you do know you always have these nurses coming in and that's just a great market. So what we talk about is trying to have two hospitals, ideally within five miles, which would give you about a 20 minute commute max. And I found that's kind of what people are willing to do. So if you can be in those parameters, that's great. Some other things to look for a university, generally, if it's a bigger one, so maybe one that has about 20,000 students or more, that'll bring in a lot of teachers and parents and students, international students. So those can be good draws. Other things can be maybe like a campus for a tech center or something like that. Those bring in a lot of just transitional workers that might be, you know, trying out a new job or moving into the area and needing a space for a while while they're looking for something. Sarah, let's talk economics. As you guys talk about medium-term rentals, I'm thinking people coming in for a month, two months, six months. Part of me is still of that old school mindset. Isn't it just easier to rent it for a full year? Tell me about why you would do a medium-term rental versus a long-term rental, assuming you could find renters for each. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'll use a, a case study. So I own a fourplex in Omaha, Nebraska. It's four units. All of them are one bedroom, one bath units. If I rent them long-term, as you're saying, it's sit it and forget it. I sign, They sign a year lease. I don't furnish it. I don't pay their utilities. The tenant is paying $800 plus a $30 pet fee, so $830 a month, okay? But that same exact unit in the same building, I furnish it for around $6,000, and then I can charge $1,875 plus a $150 cleaning fee, plus if they have a pet, there's a $200 security deposit and a $175 pet fee. So in that first month with the 1875, 150 and 175, that's 2200 and then 1875 every every month after that. Ziana, but as I hear this and you're talking about <laughs> furnishing it, you're talking about cleaning, you're talking about pets, you know, it sounds to me like there's a lot more work involved. Am I wrong in assuming that? Well, we like to talk about the comfort continuum. So it's kind of like the more work you're willing to put into something, the more cash flow or money you can make. And so if you're on the side of a long-term rental, you're just not going to make much. So maybe you're making 50 to $100 every single month over the mortgage. That's going to take a lot of properties to leave your job or feel financially independent. So sometimes it's just great to do a shorter medium-term rental, have just a couple of properties. And over time, when you're retired, 
you can eventually turn them over to long-term and then chill. So it's just maybe that ramp-up strategy. I don't think it's that much extra work. There's a lot of cool automations in place that help you, yeah, make it easy. Sarah, without going into too much detail, talk about some of those automations. I mean, like, how do you get it so that you're not being called every five minutes, especially like if you have 10 or 12 units, I managed four of my own. And I'll tell you, especially during COVID, I was getting a lot of phone calls. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a really great point. So I do, I self-manage all 19 of my units and nine of them are furnished. So right now, just like Ziana, I kind of use a hybrid method of short-term and medium-term. So it's two short-term and seven medium-term. And my short-term rentals, I do get messages. But here's the thing, I don't get them anymore. I have a virtual assistant that is kind of my gatekeeper. So she's monitoring the messages. And if she can answer them, she does. If she doesn't, she'll come to me. And then guess what? That's getting added to like a frequently asked question doc for my virtual assistant. So she doesn't have to come to me again. And then as far as automations, we recommend using some type of automation software like Hospitable. And you can do that with both short-term and medium-term. It's going to just make your life so much easier. And one thing that I'm super grateful that Ziana taught me is you just put all of the information in that first welcome message. So instead of just telling them, here's your code, here's how to check in, you also are putting in, here's the Wi-Fi password. Here's any other questions. Here's when trash day is. All of the questions that they would have. And what I like to tell people is that a short-term rental You're going to get those questions. How do you use the remote? How do you do this? How do you check in every, what, two, three, four, five days? But with a traveling nurse or a medium-term tenant, they're going to check in once. And they're going to have those questions once. And then you have 13 weeks, hopefully, of silence until you have to do it again. And then something beautiful happened at the beginning of 2021 I had 47% of my medium-term rental tenants extend to six months. Wow. So unexpected income for sure. And ease. Exactly. Ease. I mean, those were the best, those were the best text messages I could ever get. So Ziana, I mean, compare and contrast. What Sarah's talking about is short-term versus medium-term, right? A lot of us in our brains are really comparing long-term to short-term or medium-term, but it sounds like there's some real salient differences, both economically and also in terms of work. So break it down on those two points. Economically, what's the difference between short-term rentals and medium-term rentals? And then the other side of that is how much more work-intensive are short-term versus long-term, or I'm sorry, medium-term? <laughs> it's easy to get confused. Yes, yes. Um. So if you're just looking at market rate rent, so whatever you could make on the long-term rental, I like to say an easy rule of thumb is that you could get one and a half times on medium term, and then you can get two times on short term. So if it's a thousand, you know, it'd be 1500 and 2000. So it just kind of gives you that's general, but you're going to make more with short term. But again, you have more to do because generally with short term, people are staying about four nights. You know, you'd be lucky if everyone's a week, but generally it's pretty short. And so they do have a lot of questions and a lot of expectations. Those medium term guests they're living there. So it has a different feeling. They're not super high maintenance if the toilet gets plugged. You know, if you're only at a house for three days and that toilet's not working, well, it needs to have, you know, be working yesterday. Like that's, that's an emergency, right? But so I find that the medium term guests just make everything easier. Trash is no longer a problem because they can take it out to the curb. They learn the house. They have a little more pride of ownership. They'll take care of the furniture a little bit better. So I find that it's a really nice like Goldilocks. It's the the just right in the middle. As you say that, Ziana, I'm reminded of one key piece of advice you give in this book, which really is vaguely unrelated, but I I definitely connect with it, is if you are going to buy a place for rental, make sure that there are two toilets. You never yeah. want to buy a house with just one toilet because that thing is going to stop working on Friday night and you're guaranteed. But if there are two toilets, you can wait till Monday to fix it. I, I love that piece of advice, <laughs> which is beside the point of long-term versus medium-term versus short-term, but I, I thought it was a great great piece of advice. Sarah, tell me about the demand. I mean, is there really a huge demand for the medium term rentals as much? Because I understand short term rental demand 
And I certainly understand long-term rental demand, but are you guys finding that you're consistently filling those units up? Yeah. So again, I'll use that same case study of the Omaha property. I, I own a fourplex. Demand was so high. I actually bought the fourplex next door. And so I do have one long-term tenant in those eight units, but otherwise I have seven medium-term rentals on the same basically plot of land. And I will have a traveling nurse move out at 11 a.m. and a new one move in at 3 p.m. consistently. The, the biggest gap that I've ever had was four days. And that's on one of the seven units there. And, and similar to St. Louis, as you mentioned, like a large hospital complex, the same thing is in Omaha. But then I also get people that aren't traveling nurses. I had someone who his, his job sent him there. I had someone whose mother was sick. And um, she didn't want to sleep at her house. She wanted to have her own space, but she needed to live there for about three months while she took care of her mom. I had another couple who were renovating a kitchen and they just couldn't live in a mess. So they rented my apartment. And so there's a lot of different reasons that people will need a place to stay. One thing that we touch on in the book is natural disasters. And so if you are an investor wanting to have a medium term rental, definitely reach out to different insurance placement companies. Because not only do they pay top dollar, but they're going to always be urgent and in any time of year, it's not seasonal. Ziana, talk about the pandemic and how it affected medium term rentals. It sounds like there was unmet demand all of a sudden when everyone was quarantining. Yeah, it was essentially the birth of this name medium term rental. So there had always been executive rentals, but they just didn't have the same like catch on fire that medium term rentals have had recently. And so I think it was just starting to see that people had this ability to sort of work from anywhere. That's, you know, here to stay, it seems like. And so I found that we'll have people that want to spend a month in Austin and then a month in Boulder, and they're still working from home, but they're checking out the world, right? So we have this digital nomads. We've got a huge burst of traveling nurses because there was just so much more demand for nurses in different areas that the traveling nurses circuit really kind of blew up. And then there's just more of people wanting more space, even if it's temporary to like have space for their kids or to work from home. And then also people wanting to be nearby, but still work from home. So this idea of these rural properties that are not too far from the city, that kind of opened up a whole new thing. So yeah, medium term has really exploded. And I think there's a lot of demand that will stay. Sarah, one other question before we move away specifically from medium term rentals. We saw the short-term rental market change significantly as the laws changed in some of these cities because whether it was the hotel lobbyists or the cities themselves or the buildings didn't want so much throughput through units. Do you see any legal risks with medium-term rentals? I mean, is it possible the legal landscape could change, making this a more difficult field? We haven't heard anything at the county or city level of anyone wanting to touch medium-term rentals, or or in this case, anything beyond 30 days. I think the cities see the two-day and three-night stays as a threat, as do the hotels, whereas the hotels can't really compete with a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment that you can rent for 30 days. Ziana, you see any risks just from a legal standpoint? I don't. I I see them really chunked in with the long-term rentals. And so, you know, it's so much easier to get a license. You don't have to do as much, you know, tax submitting. There's not all these like loopholes to go through. So yeah, I just think that it's here to stay. Ziana McIntyre and Sarah Weaver are seasoned real estate pros who not only manage multiple doors, but share their wisdom with budding investors. And we are talking medium term rentals. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. 
And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Yo, everybody, I just wanted to remind you that if you want to see me and you happen to be in San Diego on Thursday, October 6th from 4 to 6 p.m., we are going to be at BJ's in San Diego at 1370 Frazee Road. This is going to be a book launch and book signing party. I'm going to be in San Diego for the Camp Fi Southwest that starts the next day in Julian, San Diego. But I'm spending that Thursday in the city. We'll be at BJ's. Come check me out. We'll have a conversation. You can buy a book. I'll sign it. It'll be a fun time for everybody. A little bit of beer, a little bit of pizza, and some talk about taking stock. You do need to sign up, though, so go to earnandinvest.com slash San Diego. Again, earnandinvest.com slash San Diego and sign up to our event at BJ's. Again, that's going to be Thursday, October 6th. Can't wait to see you there. We are talking to Ziana McIntyre and Sarah Weaver. They are the authors of 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental. It is being released by Bigger Pockets Publishing on November 10th. Let's talk about real estate broadly. Ziana, how accessible do you think real estate is to your average person? I mean, is this something everyone can use as a path to wealth? I do believe that they can. Now, is it meant to be for everyone? Does everyone have to do real estate? Of course not. Like there are perfect paths through index funds. There's lots of other ways. It's a passion of mine and Sarah's. And so it is a natural thing to lean into. But do I think it's easy and attainable for everyone? Yes. Sarah, does it have to be a passion? I mean, a lot of people, I think, look at real estate as a good way to make money. Does it work better if you love it? And do you love it? Man, I, I change my answer depending on the day. <laughs> I <laughs> I love what real estate has afforded me. Um, both Deanna and I come from very humble beginnings. And we, are, we learn to be scrappy. And both of us also, we spend a lot of time abroad. And I think that has put things into perspective for me is seeing how mortgage laws and lending regulations differ country to country. And frankly, like a daughter of a cleaning lady, I there's no way I could have done this if I was in a different country. And so I've turned to be really grateful for like the opportunity to invest in real estate. Do I love self-managing and dealing with tenants? No. But do I love real estate and what it's afforded me? Absolutely. Ziana, would you call real estate a passion? Yes, but it's more the art of the deal, right? So it's the finding the deal, negotiating the deal, running the numbers, getting it, you know, under contract, you win. But then, yeah, once you set it up and then set it on its way, you're like, okay, I have the thirst. I need the new deal. Mm -hmm. So I agree that the management part is the worst part of the whole thing. But if you get really good assistant or really good systems in place, yeah, then you can just be rinse and repeating the fun deal part. Yeah, I, I like to call it the dopamine hit. So like Zion, exactly what Zion is talking about, like it is, it's like a dopamine hit, like your offer got accepted or man, I like made a deal that wasn't a deal, a deal because it's a medium term rental. Like, you know, people are passing up on this duplex because the long-term rent isn't very sexy. But if it as a medium-term rental, look at that, it's now 16% cash on cash. That's a dopamine hit. 
asset management and tenant mm. like regulate like relations, there's not very many dopamine hits. I just want to note for listeners as I bring this up and I'm watching both of your faces on Zoom, both of your faces lit up when I asked whether it was a passion. Ziana, let me turn this around a little bit. We think of real estate and passive income, and a lot of people put those two words together. On the other hand, in your book, there's quite a bit of detail about specifically how to do this, and it takes some knowledge and some learning and you know, some sweat equity. Are we wrong in saying real estate is passive? Absolutely. I don't think real estate is passive. I mean, I think the one way it could be passive is if you have a long-term rental and a manager. But there's still a certain amount of responsibility that you have to have in managing the manager, making sure that your rent is actually being collected and deposited into your account. Like you can't just fully let go and trust. So there's always going to be a little bit of something to do. It is not like index funds where you really set and forget. But at the same time, you have a lot more control. Right. So if, you know, there's a stock market crash that you have no control over those companies and their assets. You just have to ride the wave. In real estate, you could have a long-term rental and then say, hey, I'm going to make it a short-term rental. I'm going to make it a medium-term rental. You just you know, pick up the pieces and keep going. Sarah, you guys talk a lot in the book about location independence. And in fact, both of you have bought real estate, managed real estate that is remote from you in multiple different states, even in different countries. Talk about the feasibility of doing this for your average person, because I know a lot of people can connect with this idea of I can buy a single family home close to my house. I can run over there if something goes wrong. I can fix it. I can manage it. How difficult is it to do these things remotely as opposed to in a sa- in the same geography? Once an investor gets over the mindset piece, it's easier to do long distance investing. And let me explain. If you are frugal or handy, you may be tempted to go over to your property if it's 15 minutes away. When your property is 1,500 miles away, you can't go fix the toilet. That's not feasible. So it forces you to put systems in place. So we have on-the-ground teams. We have handymen, runners agents that will do us favors, property managers, contractors, other investors. I actually have an investor that did me a favor and went by my property to check on something for me. And so it forces you to set your on the ground team, which we also talk about in the book. But let me go back to the mindset. If you are someone that's going to lose sleep because what if this and I don't have the ability to go there, then I don't think it's an option for everyone. There are a lot of investors that I don't think have the right mindset to do long long distance investing. Once they get over that, they're going to fall in love with it just like we have. Deanna, talk about the stress and anxiety. I mean, do you still stress about your units? Are you still dreading the phone call or the text coming in from someone who has a complaint? Or is that something you've gotten past? Yeah, I, I don't have a worry about that stuff. It's more the big things. So... I recently had a big flood happen in one of my places and it's just kind of, you know, freak storm system. And so that was a call that was not very fun to get. And it's been a lot of work for us to get the place back up and running, but we've done it pretty quickly. So, you know, I think real estate's really forgiving and I appreciate that part of it. And it's also nice to have a few stakes in the fire, however that phrase goes. (laughs) But I just feel like, you know, even though one place was out of commission for three weeks, I've got income coming from all the other places. So it really helped. I have had the helpless moment. So when you manage from afar, there's only so much you can do. And at some point, sometimes things won't work. Sometimes you can't get it cleaned before somebody's going to show up because some somewhere a ball got dropped. And it sucks to be like, man, I could have just strapped up and gone and cleaned it, you know? But I agree with Sarah. I think having places further away is just better because it forces me to call the people and have all the systems in place and not go try to do it myself. So I think it's better. And I don't think it's that stressful. Sarah, tell me about some of those helpless moments. Have you had a few big ones and and how did they resolve? 
Yeah, I think, again, I'll tie it back to mindset. So when I realized that there was money in the bank, so I just recently had a plumbing issue on an up-down duplex. So we all know what that means. You know, the upstairs duplex is <laughs> a unit is affecting the downstairs. It's not good, right? And it was the first time that I caught myself that I was just chill. Like I was handling it really well. I did the right thing. I apologized to the tenants. I called the right people. I just went through the motions. And I assumed it was going to be a very large bill because my plumber said it was going to be. and. I didn't even find that I was upset. I just was like, this is a part of doing business. However, it was because there's money in the bank. Like in that particular property's checking account, there was plenty of money. And I think that helps. And I think it would be a lie to say at the beginning that I was this calm, cool, and collected. I was worried. I was worried like, what if, you know, all of the what ifs, what if I can't pay the mortgage? What if this happens? And now I realize as I have more, because I do believe like momentum is a thing. Now that I have more units, there's more money in the bank. So even if the plumbing issue was so grand on that building, I would just, you know, borrow from another property and it would all work out. Deanna, does money solve all these problems? (laughs) More money, more problems. Don't you know? (laughs) I don't know. It definitely eases the the blow. Because same with my place that flooded you know, we had we had like a rolling $10,000 in that account and we'd only take disbursements over that. And so I think we probably ended up spending about 10000 on just, you know, we had to get a new water heater, a new furnace and do uh, remediation cleaning. And so that sucks, but we had it. And so it's not it's not ruining our lives. It's not changing anything for us as, you know, I think a lot of people that were affected by that storm may have lost everything. So I think I just felt really grateful that we can, you know, take this blow and keep going on. Sarah, one thing I often find with real estate investors is they look at it the way Ziana was talking before about the art of the deal and getting excited about the deals, et cetera. How do you know when you have enough doors? Like you're doing this business, you're creating wealth. At some point, you're generating more wealth than you probably need to live your day-to-day life. Maybe you're taking the excess and you're investing it in other ways. How will you know when it's time to stop buying more properties? You don't. For those for those not watching on video, both Ziana and I just locked eyes because <laughs> we we talk about this a lot. We talk about like when is it going to be enough? Because both Ziana and I, we have like mastered the art of frugality. And we do things like geo arbitrage. Ziana does pet sitting to like house hack an expensive market. And I live abroad. I'm here in Mexico City. So I can live cheaply. But now I'm asking myself, do I want to? And then I got to a place where I, I have so many, I, I think one for everyone, the number's different. Some people say it's 10 units, 14 units. For me, it was 19. Once I hit 19 units, I like looked in the mirror and I said, you need help. And so it was either take a step back and like kind of downsize some of my businesses and all my different side hustles, or it was hire help. And then obviously hiring help costs money. So then I have to like fuel the fire of the business to pay that person. So I had to make that decision about three months ago was, am I good? Am I just going to chill here and scale back? Or am I going to experience massive growth and therefore I need to hire? And it could come as no surprise that of course I chose the latter and I'm scaling and I'm hiring. But I, I think it's really important that you have a really clear understanding of like why you're doing this. And for me, it's, I want to pay off my parents' house. I want to travel whenever I want to. And I want to start like upping my lifestyle and leveling up. I don't want to live so cheaply for the remainder of my life. Ziana, it's an important question, right? Because you guys come in now with this mindset and this knowledge. You literally wrote the book. You can hire people and probably have them turn a profit for you. You could scale and scale and scale and probably turn this into something huge. Will you do it and what would stop you? I'm not that person. I think I'm much more connected to the enough idea. 
So I don't think that I will scale and scale and scale. I'm I'm not visualizing apartment buildings and syndications and all this kind of stuff. It's just, I really want the balance of my life, like the lifestyle and the ease is me winning, not the number in my bank account. So Sarah, there's probably a lot of people listening or who are going to be reading your book and they're going to say real estate is definitely for me. I'm interested in these medium term rentals. Give us a, a thumbnail sketch. What is the biggest hassle? Like, what would you tell the new investor and warn them about as they're getting in? Biggest hassle. I think not setting up a solid foundation. So like if you skim our book and you don't set up the automated messages and you're trying to cut corners by buying cheap furniture or cut corners by not using an automated software, that's going to cause you headache. And you've, you've mentioned it. This is not a passive, this is not a passive way to invest as a medium term rental investor, you're building a business. And so your business has to have systems and processes, which we outline in the book. And so I recommend doing that so that you can avoid the headaches. And then frankly, I I don't think there is very many headaches and I hope I'm not wearing rose colored glasses. But I think if the processes and the systems are set in place, it can be really smooth. And I think there's a difference between responding to fires and getting ahead of them. So yeah. it's it's like doing preventative maintenance on your house where you're like, okay, I'm going to have the furnace and the AC units checked out each once a year, you know, and then you don't have this thing where it's St. Louis in the middle of July and there's no AC and people are like literally sick, you know, like that's dangerous. So I think that is true even with setting up your business. Like you want a cleaner and a handyman before you're open for business, you know, before you're listing online and welcoming guests. So yeah, you definitely don't want to have to be like putting out fires everywhere and only looking for something once you need it. It's like try to prepare. And that's why reading a book, it's not like any of this is rocket science, but reading a book helps you not make those mistakes. Deanna, why do you think most people who fail at this fail? Is there something specifically that they do wrong? I think people just don't fully commit. I think people sit on the sidelines too long. They read all the books and then they psych themselves out because maybe they're around people that are telling them they can't do it or, you know, being really afraid. Like we're all afraid. And even Sarah was talking about this this morning, where it's just like, as you get into bigger or more expensive deals, it's scary all over again, even if we know what we're doing. So I think it's important to surround yourself with community and like-minded people, and then also to just take action steps, you know, take a couple of risks, but by the time you're educated enough, they feel like educated risks, not as, not as risky as something, you know, just off the cuff. Sarah, I feel like we don't talk enough about the real estate community. One thing about doing what you've done is you've built this huge community around you. Tell me about that community and what it means in your life. frankly, it means everything. Ziana and I, like she texts me the moment that flood happened. And I texted her the moment I have a question. And so you don't have to do this alone. I think a lot of people view real estate investing as like a solo sport, but it truly is a team sport. And so whether it's a mastermind that you pay to join, or you just find a few people that you like their vibe and you say, hey, do you guys want to hop on a Zoom call every two weeks? It can look like anything. But one of the things that I found for me was so important was the ability to go to someone when you're scared and like psyching yourself out. So for me, like I wanted to do use the Burr strategy and be able to pull my capital out. But that involved doing a long distance renovation, using hard money and private money. And I was super scared and I was about to just walk away. Never mind, never mind. I'm not ready. And thankfully, I was in a group of investors. Ziana calls hers her board of directors, which I think is brilliant. So I was talking to my board of directors and they were like, you'd be an idiot to walk away from this. And I was like, well, no one calls me an idiot. And so I wrote the <laughs> offer and and they truly supported me through the whole process. And so in, in short, community is everything for me. Well, the book is 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental. Ziana, tell us what is the best way to get the book? And specifically, if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? 
Well, I am on the Investify podcast, which you were just on recently. So, you know, check out Doc G's episode, but also on Instagram and really all the social medias at Ziana McIntyre. So that's the best way. And then our book is coming through bigger pockets. And so you can go directly to them and get a bunch of cool uh, bonus content instead of just getting it from Amazon. And Sarah Weaver, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to know more? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love it if they reached out similar to Ziana. I'm on Instagram. Mine is Sarah D. Weaver, and they also can go to sarahdweaver.com. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Ziana McIntyre and Sarah Weaver. That's a wrap. I leave things running just so that we can get a little bit of the after conversation. So funny question for both of you. Did you ever imagine your life would be here five, 10 years ago, especially right when you were getting into real estate or before you did? Tell me about that. Oh. Like, did you ever think yeah. you'd end up here? Uh, no, I think, gosh, it, it for me, it was just like a side hustle. I was like in school when I started doing Airbnb stuff and I was like, oh, cool. I'm just going to do this for now, but really I'm going to be a massage therapist. And like that, that fell away and this became like my whole life. But yeah, I, I never really saw this. That's interesting. See, and it's funny because I feel like I've been aware of you and seen your content for long enough to see you go from someone who was kind of like the Airbnb queen, right? This was even before you owned places, right? You would mm -hmm. rent them out and then Airbnb them to someone who was doing kind of more hosting and scheduling to what you are now, which is, I think, a bona fide heavy real estate investor. And um, so uh -huh. I've gotten to see that from the outside and watch and it, it definitely suits you, right? It seems to be your comfort zone it seems to be your area of excellence and i've you know it's been fun to watch it grow over watching you over social media etc thank you and sarah talk about your business of furnishing airbnbs and medium-term rentals uh we didn't talk about that but you talk about it a little bit in the book um did you ever imagine this was going to be something you actually consulted on and got paid for no, um, no, but my mom likes probably her dream job. Uh, she loves spending other people's monies and furnishing <laughs> it. Um, no, the, the Aria Design Services came about because people asked for it. Someone said, oh my gosh, how did you furnish a place in Nebraska from New Zealand? Can you do mine? And my first reaction was, no. <laughs> but then I thought, wait, 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 what would an, what would an entrepreneur do? And an entrepreneur would say, okay, let's, let's try it. And now we've done 27 units in 11 States and some of it from abroad, me and my business partner, we were in Guatemala together when one of our clients called and in panic and said, I, I have a tenant moving in on Friday. We're like, Bert, that unit is vacant. And he's like, yeah, can you furnish it by Friday? We were like, oh my God. And so we spent our night in Guatemala on Amazon mm -hmm. ordering furniture and we, and we did it. <laughs> and Ziana, that's like the thing you yeah. don't like at all, right? You are not a big fan of furnishing, right? <laughs> um, It's grown on me. I think it can be fun with the right people. The thing I don't like is the edit. So I'm doing one right now where I have a property that I've owned since 2014 and it's gone through many iterations of pro of furniture. And so to go in and try to be like, okay, this doesn't really go. What's the like theme we're going with? What do we take? What do we add? Like that's so much harder than just being like blank slate. Let's just like order everything. That's all mid-century mod, you know? So uh, that's a lot harder when you own places for a long time, but it can be really fun. It's such a creative pursuit, but don't get me wrong. It can also be hard. It is exhausting. <laughs> I love the pictures you guys have in the book where you're like in the you're clearly in the front yard of a house and there's a bunch of boxes just lined <laughs> up of all the things that you ordered for when you for when you uh, closed on a place and then you had to go in and get it ready. Uh, yeah, yeah I've sold an entire. 
Oh, go ahead, Sienna. <laughs> I was going to say, Sienna can tell you a really funny story of, of me in tears in her living room trying to hang a curtain rod. And <laughs> we, we later we later could laugh about it, but it took it probably took me a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I filled an entire U-Haul van. So not like the trucks, but all the way to the ceiling with boxes, like folded down and everything. But it's just incredible if you're in a more rural kind of location and you've got to literally have everything sent just the amount of boxes. So luckily we were able to find a recycling center. Yeah. I was about to say and and unpacking and putting together and then getting (laughs) rid of all the waste is, is something people don't think about. Um, One other note, you know, it's really cool to see you guys publishing on bigger pockets because you know, that's your audience. And there are just so many people on that platform who are starving for exactly this information, right? That's why they come to bigger pockets in the first place. So, so definitely a wise place to publish. Yeah. I mean, it's a dream, honestly, like they just have such a huge platform and it started from such a beautiful place of just honestly wanting to help like person to person when there was just no information out there and how it's grown. Yes, it's a thriving business now, but I think still that root is there of people helping people. Yeah. And again, people in real estate tend to be passionate about it. Like, so you have this huge platform of people who are, they're community oriented and they're passionate about it and they're excited about it and they want to learn all the tips and tricks. So um, congratulations. I enjoyed reading your book. And for someone who doesn't isn't in this world anymore. I mean, I did rentals for a while. Um, I found it fascinating and interesting and informative. So I hope that that it does really well. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Thanks for being on and have a good rest of your day. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.